to change its spots. In other words, what can you and I do to change our condition? See, sin has so affected us. Mind, will, and emotions, and that's the point that Jesus made. It's impossible with men. There is nothing I can do to fix my sinful disposition. I can't just wake up in the morning and say, well, today I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a righteous man. Today I'm going to follow Christ. It doesn't work that way. My heart, the inclinations of the heart are evil continually, it says in Genesis chapter 6. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Only God. Our heart has been so affected. The mind, will, and emotions have been so affected by the fall of man. And we've inherited that sin nature. We're predisposed to that. And we can't fix it. We can't just roll up our shirt sleeve and fix it. Humanly speaking, salvation is impossible. But here's the good news. With men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And I like that statement because it it communicates to me that salvation is not synergistic, but it's monergistic. You you know what I mean by that? Synergistic is, is, is things that cooperate, things that work together. In other words, synergistic, and, and that's, this is a common thinking within, within, within evangelicalism today, is that salvation is synergistic. In other words, it takes the cooperating, it takes the Holy Spirit, the free will of man cooperating with the Holy Spirit, and that produces salvation. The problem with that is, as Jesus says, with man it's impossible. Do you realize I can't even cooperate with the Holy Spirit because sin has so affected me? Scripture says there are none who seek God. So how does someone who doesn't seek God, how do they cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation? But salvation, and I think Jesus is saying it well here, with man it's impossible, but with God it is possible, salvation. Salvation is monogenic. In other words, it it relies not on you and me to cooperate with, with a holy God, but it relies on the sovereign grace and the sovereign work of God to produce salvation. You see, only God can take out the heart of stone and give us the heart of flesh. Only God can raise the dead to life. And what part does a dead person have in that? None. You know, and and the the trouble with this is is that, that, that modern evangelistic efforts, they, they ignore man's inability to save ourselves, to contribute or to cooperate. And we spend all of our time trying to stuff camels through the eye of a needle. If you'll just do this, if you just walk down the aisle, if you'll just pray this prayer after me, if you'll just sign this decision card, and what are we doing? We're just stuffing a bunch of camels through needles. Can't do it. Can't be done. Who then can be saved? And, and who, who saves? Only God can save. And this verse points out the, the impotence of man. What, what does impotence mean? It means weakness. It means powerless. It means inability, doesn't it? Impotent means I can't do it. It points out man's impotence and God's omnipotence. 
What is omnipotent? It means he's all-powerful. He has the ability to do what we can't do. You know, that's why it's called Amazing Grace when we sing the song. It's not so amazing to me if I somehow cooperate with God in my salvation. But it is amazing that here I am, as Scripture says, I'm at enmity with him, right? All sinners are at enmity. We're hostile toward God. We're, we're like the Apostle Paul. And there we are on the road to Damascus. I'm not, he's not seeking God, is he? What's he seeking to do? He's seeking to persecute some Christians. He wants to kill them. And there he is going along his merry way. He's not seeking God. No desire for God. He thinks he's okay with God because he's a moral man and religious man. And God grabs a hold of that guy on the road to Damascus. And he changes his heart. takes out the heart of stone and gives him a heart of flesh. And he causes the scales to fall off his eyes. And now he's able to see. It is a monergistic work. Fallen man is impotent, and, but God is omnipotent. We're told Jesus, or the, John tells us in John chapter 1 verse 12, that as many as received him, that is Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How did they receive him? How did they become children of God? Did they just decide to become? Did they respond to the gospel? Did they repent and believe? Yes, they repented. But how? How did they repent and believe? How did they come to that place? God did a work in the heart of a fallen man and a fallen woman. That's how we come. We get no credit, none whatsoever. God gets all the glory. There, there's no room for us to boast that I decided to follow Jesus. No, he decided to save me. That's what I have to say. A man who was at enmity, I was hostile toward him, and I wasn't seeking him. Let me turn to John chapter 3, would you, real quick? Listen, I, I know that these are difficult things. And I, and I know that this goes against, for many of us in this room, depending on what type of church background we were raised in, this goes against most of what you may have heard. But I just want to take us back to the Scripture this morning because it doesn't matter what we've heard. What matters is what does God's Word say. And God's Word has got to correct our theology and our thinking. It's got to correct our, our view, our anthropology, our own view of man. Just let me ask you a question. What part do you and I play in our human birth? What part do we play in our human birth? None. Zip. Nothing, right? And just as you and I play no part in our human birth, does it not stand to reason? Is it not the logical conclusion then that we play no part in our spiritual birth? 
Now, now listen, I understand we wrestle with that, we struggle with that. And what we're talking about here is the sovereignty of God in salvation. And we struggle with that, and I think what makes it even more complicated for us is we live in a republic or democracy, whatever you want to call it, and where we have a vote and we have the ability to choose presidents, elect you know, uh, congressmen and senators and vote on different laws and all this. We, we don't live in a sovereign nation under a sovereign king. Do you know that a, that a sovereign king has absolute right, absolute rulership about who, and we're talking about the Lord omnipotent is the one who reigns. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ is a sovereign ruler of the universe, and he's the sovereign ruler of his kingdom. Does he not have the right to choose who can come into his kingdom and who can't? There in John chapter 3, look at verse 3. Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, and he anticipates some of his questions. And, you know, and, and, and Nicodemus is coming to him at night, and he's, he's wanting to know about eternal life. He's wanting to know about going into the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus answered and says to him, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, and the, and the Greek word there, which I can't pronounce, um, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean necessarily born a second time in, in that, but it means born from above. That's the literal Greek. It means born from above. And the implication there is, is you must be born again. You must be born by God. God has to do it. He says, he says, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man, listen, I'm an old man. How can I be born again when I'm old? Can I go back into my mom's womb a second time and, and be born? And, and, and Nicodemus gets it, doesn't he? He says, listen, this is impossible. It cannot be done. It is humanly impossible. I can't do that any more than you can put a camel through the eye of a needle, Lord. It's impossible, humanly speaking. And Jesus answers, he says, you're right, you can't. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless he's born of water, and uh, the best understanding I, I believe that that means is, you know, going back to Psalm 51 where David says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I've got to be born of water and born of the Spirit. It is, it is a sovereign work of the Spirit that convicts me and cleanses me of my sin. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit and Spirit. He says, listen, Nicodemus, don't marvel that I said to you that you must be born again. You must be born from above. And then he goes on to say, not only is salvation a complete work of God, but it's a sovereign work of God. He says, listen, Nicodemus, he says, the wind blows where it wishes. He says, you can hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. Nicodemus, you can't control the wind. Nor can you control the sovereign work of God and salvation. So he says, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, he's saying, the Spirit comes when he wills, on whom he wills, and does what he wills. Now, you and I, we don't struggle with the sovereignty of God in our own physical birth, do we? That God has control over our birth. We don't, do, do, do you even struggle with that? We, don't, we just accept it, don't we? 
that we, here's the sovereignty of God in our physical birth. We have no control over what parents were born to, do we? Did any of you get to pick that out before you were born and say, you know, I think I want to go here? And we didn't get a choice. No choice in that. God chose for us. We have no choice in what time in history we're born, do we? Absolutely zero control over that. You can, and you can have all type of romantic ideas about it. Wouldn't it have been fun to live, you know, in this era or that, or the old West. I love John Wayne and all, whatever. You don't get any control over it. God is sovereign in when you and I are born, to whom we're born, even where we're born. Why is it that here we are in an affluent nation like, like the United States? And we're not in some third world country. Does that make us better than others? No. We didn't have any, we, we had no choice in it, did we? No control over it. God was sovereign. The fact that we were even born, to whom we were born, where we were born, when we were born, what sex we are, whether male or female. Doesn't it, listen, ladies, it doesn't matter what you eat. It's not going to change the sex of your baby. You have no control over it. Doesn't matter if you stand on your head. None of that. All these old wives' tales, it's going to be what it's going to be. Because God is sovereign. He's also sovereign, as I spoke earlier, about what color we are. Right? What color our eyes are. All that. What color your hair is going to be. That you're going to turn white when you're in your 20s. Now see, we don't struggle with the sovereignty of God with our physical birth. We don't question it. We don't wrestle with it. We accept it as what it is. Why then do we question and struggle with God's sovereignty in our spiritual birth? Can I maybe answer that for you? Maybe I've got the wrong answer, but this is the biblical answer why we, we say it's not fair. We don't think it's fair. We think that we should be able to choose. God shouldn't force upon us his will. Well, we just said that we don't have a problem with his physical birth. Why do we then struggle with him being sovereign over salvation? Can I put it to you like Paul did in Romans chapter 9? Because to me, Romans chapter 9 just lays the whole argument out well. He chose Jacob over Esau. He chose Abraham. He chose Isaac. God did all this choosing apart from human will. Before Jacob and Esau were ever born, before they'd ever done good or evil, God chose. He said, Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I've hated. I've elected one. I didn't elect the other one. I'm going to save this one. I'm not going to save that one. It's not arbitrary. It's not, it's not uh, flippant. It's sovereign grace within God's purposes. We, we sang this morning the song that talked about before time began. That in the eternal counsel of God before time began, before Jacob and Esau were ever created, before, before any of us were ever created, God decided who he was going to save and who he wasn't. 
And he says it has nothing, it has nothing to do with Jacob and Esau, who's going to do good or who's going to do bad. It has nothing to do with them. So that the end result of all of it would be is God. Why in the world have you been merciful to me? I don't deserve this. I've got nothing to boast in. I'm just as bad as this person over here. But yet in your sovereign grace, you chose me. It humbles the sinner. And it magnifies the name of the Lord, sovereign election does. For grace, Paul would say, you have been saved through faith. He says, this is not your own doing. What's not your own doing? Even the believing is not your own doing. Even the faith is not your own doing. It's what? Paul says it's a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's, that's, the, that's the, the, the end result of sovereign grace. No one gets to boast. God gets all the glory. And what's the point that Jesus is making here? He's talking about human inability to save ourselves. No one can give birth to themselves. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than you to give birth to yourself. It's impossible, humanly speaking. No one can change our own depraved heart. It's impossible. No one can escape the bondage of sin left to ourselves. We are slaves to sin, Paul says, unable to escape. He's talking about human inability. Who then can be saved? Well, no one can left to themselves. But the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Salvation, and this is the point he's making, is a work of God. Only God can do it. Ephesians 2.1 says that, And he, that is God, and, he, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, and by grace you have been saved. Who, who did it? God. Is there anything in there where it says you, you and I cooperated with that? doesn't say that. Colossians 2.13, And you being dead once again in trespasses, in your trespasses, he, God made alive together with him, he gets all the credit, all the glory, no cooperation on our part, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against you, which is contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He says that we, how much, how much can a dead person contribute? Now you see, here's the problem. You and I, oftentimes, we're led to think that he doesn't really mean dead there. What he means is we're hurt pretty bad. But we're not dead. You know, we've fallen out of the second story window as one theologian I was listening to the other day. He said a lot of people think that we've fallen out of the second story window and we're just kind of laying there semi-conscious. Listen, we've fallen off the Empire State Building and we're splattered on the ground. We're dead. Spiritually speaking, we are dead. And what can a dead person contribute? What can, can a dead person even believe? Not unless God takes that heart. He takes that dead person, he regenerates them, and he brings them to life. And he gives them the faith to believe and the grace of repentance. And then in the end of all that, who gets the glory? God does, because I was dead. But now I've been made alive by the sovereign grace of God. Who then can be saved? What hope do we have? We have no hope in and of ourselves. But our hope is in a merciful God, and that's the context. The Pharisee, his hope was in him and his own ability. 
his human ability. The rich young ruler, it was in my, tell me what I got to do, my ability. The tax collector, you've convicted me of my sin. I know where I stand. I am doomed. I am helpless. I am hopeless. All I can do is call out for your mercy. And unless we come to him like a little child, we cannot obtain eternal life. And it is God who does the work in our hearts to help us to see and help us to become the little child. The child who, who, is, who is, has a humble assessment of themselves that I am a sinner. This young ruler didn't see himself as a sinner. And it is the work of God who helps us to see that, that we are helpless. And we, there's, there's nothing that we can do. And it is the grace of God who helps us to see there is no place else to turn but Christ and Christ alone. And to Him be the glory and honor forevermore. Let's stand and go out. Lord, as the Apostle Paul wrote, and we'll close with this, it is not of Him who wills, nor of Him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. And Lord, as recipients of those, uh, as those who are recipients of that mercy and of your sovereign grace, Lord, this morning we want to thank you that you quickened our hearts. You gave us life, and you gave us eyes to see. You gave us faith, Lord, to, uh, to turn to you, and you gave us the grace of repentance, Lord, to leave our sin. Lord, left to ourselves, we would have never sought you, we would have never followed you, we would have never believed. Because, Lord, with man it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so, Lord, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to all of life, all that you do for the believer, Lord, you get all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. We have nothing to boast in but you and you alone. And so, Lord, to your name be all the glory and honor and praise today. And, Lord, as we wrestle with this as a congregation, as individuals, Lord, we ask your grace upon the minds and the hearts of your people that you would help us to see what your word teaches. Help us to wrestle with it, Lord. Help us to get our hands around it. Help us, Lord, to be able to talk about it with one another in a way that honors you. So that your name, Lord, might be exalted. We ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right. Snacks, and then, don't forget, in about 30 minutes, 12 o'clock, Mike will be cleaning out the sanctuary.